situation, we are dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And spiritually speaking, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that day, they spiritually died. And every man, woman that's ever born and comes into this world, we are born spiritually dead. The way that we talk to God, the way we communicate with God is through the Spirit. The Bible teaches us that they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So if the Spirit is dead, there's no communicating with God because the Spirit's dead to spiritual things. So what happens is the Holy Spirit of God one day convicted you of your need for salvation. He like came to you and just giving you a little tap. And you know when it was. I remember the day that the Holy Spirit convicted me of my need for salvation. And I got born again. The day I got born again is the day my spirit became alive. And those of you in the room, I was a kid when I got saved. So it was a little, for me, I was not deep down into deep, dark things that some of you in this room as adults were before you got saved. Doesn't mean I was any less of a sinner. It just means I was already in church doing all those things. There was a change that took place and the spiritual things started making sense. But the change for me wasn't as great as the change in some others because you go from not liking the things of God or even despising the things of God to all of a sudden loving God's Word, loving the Bible, loving all the things in this world, just can't understand it. Why? Because they're dead. And without Christ, without salvation, we're dead to spiritual things. The Bible also says, and you look at verse number 2, it says, Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We see in verse number 2 that the sinner is deceived. You see, lost sinners are just basically taking their place in the parade of perversion and been marching on ever since the days of Adam. That's what has happened. And we see it, and sinners are deceived into thinking the way that they live is the right way. Who deceives them? The prince of this world. The spirit that's working in them. You see, honestly, you got one of two things working in people. The spirit of disobedience and the spirit of this world, or the spirit of God. That's why when you get saved, the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Hey, you don't, Christian, this morning, this isn't in my notes, this isn't even part of the message today, but you can do better. You've got the Holy Spirit of God. If you're saved today, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, wanting to help you and guide you in all truth, help you do what's right, help you live and do what's right, and we need to let Him work in our lives. He's greater than anything Satan can afford. He's greater than the spirit of this world. But the lost sinners, they're deceived. They're dead. And number three today, we see that sinners are depraved. Verse number three, the beginning, among whom also we all. You see how it says we all, everyone. That's including everyone. Had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Paul's saying here, before you got saved, this is where you were. You were depraved. We look at this and we think about this, and some people, when you talk about um, total depravity, they, they cringe just a little bit. Some Baptists cringe when you talk about total depravity because they think, oh, you're going Calvinistic in what you're saying. There's a fine line between Calvinism and truth. And I am not a Calvinist this morning. I would consider myself a Biblicist, is what I consider myself. 
But the Bible's very clear, and the Bible teaches us lots of things. The word depraved means corrupt, wicked, or perverted. And there's no question that that describes humanity today. Corrupt, wicked, and perverted. Philippians 2.15, the Bible tells us, calls this world, it says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. Look at this, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Talking about the world. I think that describes our world. I think someone said this way, we're surrounded by a bunch of crooks and perverts. And that's what that's basically saying there. And that's our world today. Our world's a wicked place. The Bible also tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, this is for Christians, we'll get here in a few weeks, but that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. Who is the old man? The old man is who you were before salvation. Look what it says about it, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. That word corrupt here refers to a corpse rotting. Now, not many people have ever had this experience, and hopefully you don't ever have to experience this. But I remember several years ago, I had to go into a house somewhere where someone had died in it, and they didn't find them for a while. In fact, it was carpet cleaning. That's what it was. I was trying to remember for the past couple weeks, a friend of mine well, their dad, it had been, he had been a week till someone found him. And he had to go into that apartment. He said just that smell. The smell of a rotting corpse. There's no smell like it. It doesn't matter if you have gloves on. It doesn't matter if you have a mask on. That smell, it's a smell that you'll never forget. And the Bible says that's what the old man is. He's corrupt. A corpse that's corrupting. That's what it's talking about. That's how bad the old man is. And I know a lot of times we don't like to look and say, well, I don't like to think that humanity is so bad. It's the truth. Why do you think people kill people like they do? Why do you think you turn on the news and see the awful acts that people commit against one another? Because mankind is so good? That's another thing that makes the Bible so amazing. Show me a book where you talk about how bad men are and see people buy that. If I put out a book and said, all right, I want it to be New York Times best-selling book, I put, how bad we truly are, no one's going to buy it. You know, you need to have your Joel Osteen become the better you, something like that. Everybody wants one of those things about how good we are. Do you like someone telling you how bad you are? No one does. You know, if someone came and said, okay, pastor, I'm going to tell you how bad you are. I'm not going to like that. Or you come to church and I'm like, okay, John Decker, I'm going to tell you all your bad traits today. No one likes hearing bad things about them. And we don't have enough time to go through all those things, so we're not going to even start today. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Um, <laughs> we could go on about all of us if we really did that. But we don't, want, we don't like hearing bad things about us. So why would man write a book about how bad man is needing a Savior and so many people would want to read it and have it? Shows what a miracle book the Bible is. Again, no one likes hearing about how wicked they are. It's true, though. Without Jesus Christ, without what he'd done, we are deprived, human depravity. And we're not talking about something because people, something people become because they commit sin, but we're talking about by nature what we are. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. The Bible tells us, wherefore, by one man sin entered the world. And death upon, so that all men have sinned. 
All of us. It's in all of us. And just like that apple blossom, that worm starts there and works its way out. That's how sin works. And when I talk about depravity, it doesn't suggest that people are wicked or sinful as they could be. It doesn't mean that man is without a conscience or any sense of right or wrong. It doesn't mean that man cannot do things that seem to be good when viewed from human perspective or measured against human standards. Because some people do, lost people do good things, right? You might give to charity. You might do this or that. A lost person could be a good citizen, but one of the things that we got to remember is this. The Bible makes it very clear and teaches that when we don't rec- that even though what total depravity does, it recognizes that even the good things man does is tainted because we don't do them for God's glory or out of faith. Because that which is done not in faith is what? It's sin. And the Bible says for um, without faith it's impossible to please God. You see, and when we think about it, what that means is our very best is still not good. That's why the Bible will say in Isaiah 64, the Bible tells us, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, the very best we can be, are as filthy rags. That's the very best. Why? Because we're sinners, all of us. We have that sin nature inside of us. It's there. And fallen man's good deeds are motivated, why? To do good for God? To please him? No. To, for ourselves. Selfish in nature. There's no one that does good. No, not one. That's what the Bible says. And so we see, number three, as we talk about sinners are depraved, we see letter A, we see that they're depraved in their appetites. Look at what Paul says here. He says in verse 3, among whom also we had our conversation times past. Look at these things he mentions. In the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Look at those phrases there. When we think of those words, and the Bible says the lust of the flesh, what's it talking about? It refers to the natural desires that drive the body and the mind. The lust of the flesh. We don't want to walk in the flesh, do we? We want to walk in the spirit, the Bible teaches us. But that's what the lust of the flesh is. It says here about how we are fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Those are the natural appetites that characterize humanity. And when you think of the word lust, and you know, it could be a sexual thing, it could be a lot more than that, but every pull of the flesh, anything it lusteth after is what it's talking about here. Desires refers to a strong willfulness, wanting and seeking something with diligence. What these words picture for us here is that the sinner is driven about by their minds and their flesh, seeking to gratify the natural, sinful appetites of the natural man. What are the natural things? <laughs> what are the natural things that, that sinners seek after? Well, what's some, is it natural to be, um, my mind just went totally blank. I hate when my mind goes blank. And uh, every once in a while that happens, I get disrupted or something happens and it just goes blank on me. Oh, Brian, why does this happen to you? So, is it natural to be, to share? It's natural to be selfish. Is it natural to tell the truth or is it easy to lie? 
it's a lot easier to lie. Now, in the long run, it's so much easier to tell the truth. And the way of the transgressor is hard. But for us, it's amazing how you have to tell the truth on something and a lie will just, I got, I can just say that. You have kids out on the playground. And this happens at school all the time. I'm glad Bridget's out there to keep sense of everything that goes on because I can't keep sense of all of it. And she's got her little whistle. Watch out now. She's got a whistle, and you just watch out. She tried blowing at me the other day. You ever try that again, I'll break that whistle off your neck, and you'll never have it again. Just, just kidding, just kidding. Yeah. We know who the real boss around here is, she, and she's one of them. And so her and then this one sitting on the front row that looks so nice and kind. We have two kids. They fight. It was their fault. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. It was their fault. I didn't do anything. And that's what they both say. And there's no truth in anything that they just said. And when it comes down to it, they both argued something happened. But, and you think about it, the desires, the natural desires that are there, wrath, anger, all these things that the Bible talks about, the works of the flesh, that are manifest, it talks about in Galatians chapter number 5. There's lots of other, you look at these things here. Adulteries, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such alike, of which I told you before. And we talk about all these things. Those are the works of the flesh. That's why our world, you look, they're, they're getting more enamored with all these things that go against God. You know, living together outside of marriage is called fornication. It was listed, it was in verse number 19, God is against fornication. But in our world today, it's no big deal. Why? Because this world loves to please the flesh. That's how it works. That's the natural man. The natural man has appetites. And there are many other evil desires that consume the minds of sinners and drive them to sin. The bottom line is this, sinners are selfish. Life is about gratifying their lusts and their selfish desires. Sinners love sin and don't like good righteousness, which leads us to letter B. They're depraved in how? Their appetites in letter B. Depraved in their actions. Look at what it says there. It says, in time according, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. The word conversation, do you see that there? It refers to one's walk, or it's your manner of life. Sinners live like they do because of the desires of the flesh and of the mind. They let their body, they let their flesh dictate what they do. That's what happens. Now let me just say something here and pause for a second. Shame on us Christians who have the Spirit of God living inside of us, and we walk in the flesh. You say, well, can a Christian walk in the flesh? Yes. Why do you think it said put off that old man? That was written to Christians. You're supposed to put off that old man that we read in Ephesians chapter number 4. The Bible says walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You see, a lot of Christians live their life like the unsaved do. They let their flesh dictate what they do. And that's not how it's supposed to be as a Christian. The Spirit of God should be directing and guiding us in all things that we do. That's how it's supposed to work. But it's sad that Christians who have the Holy Spirit of God live like the heathen do. And I'll leave that there and you can think on that and ponder that a little bit more. 
The natural pull of sin within the human heart leads the lost sinner to live a sinful life. They have no defenses. You know, I'm, not, I'm trying to be nice today. I'm really trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice. This is, when we talk about how bad we are, it's, it's, it's not one of those sermons where people just come and they're like, oh, pastor, good sermon. You don't get many of those when you talk about the depravity of man and how we are and all those things. Next week when I talk about God's mercy and how wonderful he is and saving us in that condition, oh, pastor, great message. We all love those ones. Well, we don't love when we get convicted or things like that happen to us, but do you realize those that aren't saved, they have no defenses to help them against sinning? So why do we live in sin when we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside us, the greatest defense of all. And I'm not just preaching at you this morning, I'm preaching at myself. I said at last service, you get a 30 or 40 minute message. I get this message all week and several weeks beforehand. And I preach to myself often. And I'm preaching to myself this morning. We live in sin, but we have the greatest ability to conquer sin because of who's inside of us. Think about that one just a little bit. You think of it, when you think about depravity, it's depravity that caused Joseph Stalin to murder 50 million people in order to consolidate his power. It's depravity that caused Adolf Hitler to try to exterminate the Jewish people, killing 6 million of them. It's in depravity that those who will go out and shoot people and murder them in cold blood, it's depravity. You say, well, those are big things. Well, it's depravity when a little boy will walk into a... a grocery store and steal a pack of gum. It's depravity that causes a young person to barter their purity for fleeting puppy love. It's depravity that causes us to hate, to fight, to envy, to be filled with jealousy. Great illustration of human depravity and how we are is illustrated by this little tale I'm going to tell you. A mother put her son in the closet to punish him for being bad. Now, I'm telling you a story right now. I did not tell anyone to stick their children in the closet if they're being bad, okay? Remember that. This is just a story. We're just going along with the story. I'm not telling you to do this. I've tried and it does not work. No, I have not tried. I have not. But, um, well, Mandy, did your girls tell? No, never mind. And uh, I got to watch them the other day. And they're great when you stick them in the closet. Didn't hear a peep out of them. No, didn't do that. Although you put them in the closet in our bedroom, that's bigger than a bedroom. It would have been no big deal. But so this mom put her son in the closet for some wrong they done. And after a while, she opened the door. And there was no remorse on the son's face. He just stood there glaring at her, non-repentant at all. And the mom said, son, what are you doing? And he angrily replied with his hands crossed, I spit on your shoes, I spit on your dresses, I spit on your coat, and I'm standing here waiting for more spit, and I will spit on something else. That describes human depravity right there. Men in their condition don't want to get right. We're very selfish. Thank God for salvation. Thank God for him stepping in. But this world likes to think that men are generally good and getting better. Let me help you with something. We're not getting better. We're not. Not at all. You know what the Bible tells us? The Bible teaches that we are and when we talk about total depravity, it teaches that. Think about Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We look in our world today, and there are people who try to make things better in our world today. 
you know, illustrations of that. You look around and you have the mass shootings that have taken place and things that go on. So the idea is you take all the guns away and then you won't have this happen anymore. Do you know one of, well, let's use our country as an example. We'll use Chicago as an example. I love the food of Chicago. I lived close to Chicago for a while. And I like the weather in Chicago for about two months, and that's about it. It's either too humid or it's too cold, one or the other. But it's green, and that's, that's nice. But anyways, um, they have some of the strictest gun laws in the country. And do you know what? They have more people that die in Chicago than almost any other city in the United States. You say, well, why? So are you saying that we shouldn't have any gun restrictions or anything? I'm not getting into all that this morning. What I'm saying is this. The heart is the problem. That's the problem. And you can take everything you want to away from everyone, and someone will find something else to do something bad with. You can take everything, and it's not going to change the human heart. The human heart is our problem today. And we look around, we want peace in our world, we want all these different things. The issue is the heart. The heart is, what does it say? Deceitful above all things, and it's desperately wicked. That's our problem. Our world today, the number one problem we have is a heart problem. That is it. You want to fix our country? You want to fix the shootings that go on? You want to fix every little thing to make this world a better place? Are you ready? The only hope we have is not some new new legislation, and I'm not against all legislation. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to leave that there. That's not our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Because he is the only one who can take a de- deceitful, wicked heart and make it new and change it and make it better. And we as Christians love to complain about our world and how wicked it is, but then we don't ever witness, we never share our faith with anyone, and we just expect everything to get better around us. You want to make a difference in our world? Pick up a track and go tell someone about Jesus. That's what they need. And I hear Christians, oh, I joined this group, and I joined this group, and I picketed here. If you want to pick it, go right ahead. I don't have a problem with any of that. But the hope that mankind needs today is the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need Jesus. He's the only hope. He's the only one who can take a wicked sinner and make them clean and make them useful for him and take care of those things. That's what we need. You know, in public schools, we need the Bible there. So our young people, instead of letting them live in their wickedness and all the things that they do, get a Bible in their hand and teach them right. You wonder why our society is going to hell in a handbasket because we take God out of everything. But in jail, let them have a Bible. But they can't have one in school. Maybe if you gave them to them in school, you wouldn't have to give them one in prison. I don't know where all that came from. And I was going to be quiet for, for, uh, for um, Maria back there. I'm sorry. I'll lower my voice just a little bit. I tried, today, I, um, someone told me about online this throat um, this throat tea to help your voice. My voice feels pretty good right now. I think I'm glad I drank that tea. It could go on for a while longer, but we'll get to, and ladies, you can never say anything to me about going too long. Those of you who went to that ladies meeting here, both those messages were over an hour, and I never go over an hour, so don't ever say anything to me about being long-winded. <laughs> ladies have a lot to say, though, but anyways, we'll drop that right there. And, uh, 
the heart's deceitful above all things. You know, if we would get a proper understanding of that, people would realize the fact that good works could never save a person. So many religious people, good works, good works, good works, good works get us nowhere because our heart's so wicked. And while the, when we talk about the doctrine of total depravity, it destroys man's self-righteousness and our misconception, it leaves one asking the question that the disciples asked Jesus. In Matthew chapter, 20, chapter 19, verse 25, this is what the disciples said. When the disciples heard, they, said, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them, and he said to them, With men, this is impossible. Men cannot save themselves. Men can do nothing to save themselves. Our best is as filthy rags, the Bible says. But with God, all things are possible. A lot of people like to take those verses out of context there, but this is exactly what it's talking about. How can we be saved if we can't do it on our own, if we're not good enough? Well, God says with man, it's impossible. But with God, it's possible. We see that sinners are deprived. Lastly, number four, sinners are doomed. Before salvation, we're doomed. Look at what Paul does at the end of verse number three. He reminds us our standing before God before salvation. He says, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Children of wrath. We like to think, well, how could God have wrath? God's a God of love. God's a God of mercy. God's a God of all these things. You've got to understand something. God is a God of love. And praise God for his love. No one loves like God loves. But if you just take God's love, you forget about all the other attributes of God. God is a holy God. A holy God cannot be with sin. That's how it is. In God's holiness, if you look at other attributes, he's a just God. He's judgment. And his mercy and his long-suffering have shown for a very, very, very long time. But someday, God's going to say enough. This world lives the way they do and mock God and the things of God, someday God's going to have enough. And the wrath of God, you've got to understand one of two things this morning. If you're a saved child of God, you are saved, settled, and secure, and you're a child of God. If you are not saved today, and by salvation, it's very simple, you believe in Jesus Christ, that he died, rose again. That's salvation. That's all salvation is, believing in him. If you put your faith and trust in any other way, that's not salvation. That's the Bible way of salvation. And you're either saved on your way to heaven or you're sitting here today with the wrath of God abiding on you. One or the other. We don't like to hear those things. God has proven his love over and over again to us. No one could ever demonstrate their love the way that God has demonstrated his love toward us. When we talk about that, I want you to think of two things, and we'll be done this morning. Letter A, under, under before salvation, we're doomed. Letter A, sinners are doomed because of a sinful disposition. The phrase, we're by nature, calls to mind 
that unsaved people are sinners because of their natural nature, their nature. I think we understand that. In our world, and the Bible even talks about in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And there may be pleasure in sin for a season, but the day will come when the pleasure will cease and you will face the wrath of a holy God if you're not saved. Most people live their lives without even giving God a second thought. A few weeks ago, I was door knocking and witnessing to someone. The guy came to the door, and I started talking about this, and he got a smirk on his face. And he said, I'm going to go to hell, and my buddies and I are going to have a party when we go to hell. I said, sir, I hope you'd reconsider that thought. Hell's not a place of partying, and it will not be anything you think you want it to be. And, uh, he has the wrong concept of it. That's not what hell's going to be. It's not going to be a place for those that don't choose Christ. They all party together and live together. and It's going to be so wonderful. Look at how bad our world is today. But guess who's here? God's presence is still here. Holy Spirit's here. God is here. Imagine a world. Let's say there's no fire. There's nothing else. Let's say, let's say there's let's say there's no disease, let's just say it's a place where people, you either go to heaven, or let's say hell was just a place where God just wasn't, and you had your sinful heart still. Our world's so wicked, imagine no Holy Spirit and no God. That's what hell is. Hell is eternal separation from God. And that day's gonna come. There'll be no reprieves, there'll be no third or fourth chances, there'll only be a meeting with the wrath of a holy, righteous offended God. That's why the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Why? Because our God, the Bible says, is a consuming fire. And people don't like to talk about, you know, in the 90s, the big thing was no fear, no fear. Oh, everyone needs a good fear of God. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can say no fear all you want. Someday you're going to stand before the Lord. And I think a lot of Christians think they love that verse. Therefore, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I love that verse too, Romans 5.1. But everyone's going to stand before God one day, saved and unsaved. The saved will be at the judgment seat of Christ, and you will give an account for what you did with what God's given to you. And it's not going to be all wonderful for every Christian that's there. There's going to be some misery there looking back at what you missed out on, what you didn't do with what God gave to you. You might hear a well done, you might hear you slothful servant. If you notice, and I'm not, I'm not going to get carried away and give you too far into Brian's thoughts on things, but the Bible talks about how heaven's a place of no more crying, and he wipes all tears away. Do you realize that that's in chapter 21 of Revelation? The judgment seat of Christ happens well before that. And what's the events that happen right before our tears are wiped away? Those are judged at the great white throne judgment. Then the tears get wiped away. It's not going to be all wonderful when we see those that we had the opportunity to witness to that we never did go to hell for that family member. Think about that one for a little bit. But those that are not saved... They'll stand before Jesus and he will judge them. If you're lost and don't know the Lord, your only hope is Jesus Christ and your faith in him. 
There is no other way. You must be born again. In Jesus Christ, he's the way, he's the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. See, before salvation, we're doomed. Why? Because of a sinful disposition. And lastly, letter B, because of a sovereign decree. Remember back in Genesis chapter number 2, very early in the Bible, God told Adam, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, yeah, I need those verses. You're, you're good. Don't second, guess, don't second guess yourself. You're right on. Sometimes back there, Joe tries to think as I'm thinking, and you were right on track this time. It doesn't happen very often because, anyways, but you did good this time. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Why are we doomed? Before salvation, because of a sovereign decree. From the very beginning of the Bible, Adam was warned that if he sinned, terrible consequences would enter into this world. Sin came and death followed. That verse I quoted earlier, wherefore as by one man's sin, death entered into the world. For the wages of sin is death. For it's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. Genesis 5, you can read about all these different people, and they died, and they died, and he died, and they died, and he died. What we sometimes forget is that death does not imply an ending of life. Death is merely separation. When a person dies, they're separated from this physical world but they continue to live on spiritually. When a person dies, one of two things happens. You end up, the Bible says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you're a saved child of God, your last breath on earth is your first breath with him for all eternity. But the Bible also shows us that the rich man woke up and opened his eyes. And in hell, he opened his eyes. One of two places. The saved leave this world of pain, heartache, sorrow, and suffering to go to a place of peace, beauty, and rest. The lost leave the same world behind to go to a place of unspeakable horror and suffering. The Bible says the children of wrath. When you think about wrath, the word wrath comes from a word to be red-faced. It's the image of someone who has held his anger in check for a very long, long time but has finally reached the end of his patience. And God's been very patient with mankind, calling on mankind to repent for thousands of years. I want you to understand something. The Bible makes it very clear in John chapter number 3, verse number 18. It says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then, Verse number 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. There are two types of people in this world. Those who are saved and have everlasting life, and the lost who are unsaved who have the wrath of God abiding on them. Those who continue to refuse the Lord will eventually die in their sin. Let me just say something to make sure we understand something. Once you're saved, you are always saved. 
No man, no nothing can separate you from his love. I don't understand how Christians have such a hard time understanding these things. Just a couple weeks ago, a good man, Pastor Jared Wilson, he was one of the pastors at Harvest, committed suicide. A good man. He's a saved man. A good man. And people, well, could he really be, what happened since he died? He committed suicide. He's in heaven just like anybody else that's saved. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor height, nor death, nor any other, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. He couldn't repent of his sin. If we had to repent every time we sin, hello, we'd be unsaved more than we're saved. You believe on the Son of God, you have everlasting life, and nothing can take that away from you. But if you don't, the wrath of God is on you. And hell is an awful place. The wages of sin is still death. And this doesn't mean a death to end all things. It's talking about the second death mentioned in Revelation chapter number 20, which, are, which hell and death are cast into the lake of fire. That's where it comes down, what it comes down to. Hell's a place of unquenchable fire. Hell will be a place of memory and remorse. Don't you think that rich man, oh, if only I would have listened to someone. I think there are going to be many people in hell that sat in a church service. I wish I would have just trusted Christ. A place of unquenchable thirst. Remember the rich man said, hey, hey Father Abraham, just give, give me some, just a little drink. Nothing's going to be able to quench that thirst. Misery and pain. Frustration and anger. Eternal separation. And hell, the lake of fire, is a place where God's wrath will be on display. There's no mercy in hell. The rich man said, hey, go tell, Abraham, could you have someone go tell my family? Let them know. Abraham said, they've got this. They've got what they need. There'll be no mercy in hell. But you have mercy right now. You're still alive. It's of God's mercies that you enjoy life. It's of God's mercies that you have health, wealth, whatever the case may be. It's of God's mercy that you still have time to trust Him as your Savior. Imagine an eternity with no rest. No beauty, no peace, no laughing babies, only crying ones. No, I don't think that will be the case, but no playing children, no smiling faces, no kind words, no family, no friends, no hope of salvation. Imagine an eternity with nothing before you but unending suffering, pain, and sorrow, separated forever from the God who could have saved your soul. That's what hell is. It's not going to be a place to party with your buds an awful place the only way to miss hell is to come to Jesus by faith that is it there is no other way
period. The Lord's willing to save anyone. So this morning, a couple things. The message is done. Where does the message find you? Does it find you lost and trapped in your sin? Then let today be the day you come to Jesus for salvation and get that fixed. Maybe today it finds you saved, and I hope you're saved. And the Bible talks about to rejoice because your name's written in heaven. That's a reason to rejoice. It should fill your heart with praise to know that God came and did what he did in your life. In your dead state, he did all those things for you. Breathed life into your spirit, changed your life. And he deserves praise and worship for what he's done. Does this message find you as a Christian lost? A lot of Christians say, I'm burdened for the lost. Then who have you told about Jesus lately? Don't tell me you have a burden for the lost people if you don't witness. It's not possible. Pastor, I have a burden. I have a burden. Then when's the last time you told someone about Jesus? Don't give that answer out loud right now, but think to yourself. If you have a burden that people don't go to hell, when's the last time you did something about it? A pastor, I just could never talk. Oh, if the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, you have all you need to be able to witness. We don't like hearing that, but it's the truth. When's the last time you grabbed a gospel track and you took it and you gave it to someone, told them how they could have a relationship with Jesus? Well, I don't feel that that's my job. They can find Jesus for themselves. Aren't you glad someone told you? Ooh, I'm glad someone told me. And I'm not telling you to go be a car salesman. God doesn't need car salesmen, okay? If people want Jesus, they can have him. If they don't want him, that's up to them. We have a lot of Christians that like to be car salesmen. Don't sell any, you're not selling anybody the gospel. You're giving them the opportunity. If they want it, let them have it. If they don't, that's their choice. But who's the last person you told? Oh, but pastor, I really do have a burden. Then do something about it. There are tracks in the foyer. There are tracks in the side room there. Grab some and go tell someone about Jesus. Tell your coworkers, not while you're working, on break. Tell the person who's ringing up your groceries, boop, 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 you know, they're ringing them up. Or if you're one of those people that doesn't go grocery shopping and have them delivered to your house, give it to the delivery driver when they bring the groceries to your house. You say you have a burden for the lost, what do you do with it? Most Christians don't truly have a burden because we don't do anything. When we hear about hell, it should renew a passion inside of us to tell people. It should make us thankful for what God did for us. If you're not saved this morning, Jesus will save you. He loves you. He gave his son for you. And some people are like, well, if the wrath of God is on the unsaved, he doesn't love them. No, 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 no. You've got to understand something. He died for them. He loved the world. He loves everyone. He gives everybody a chance. And you know, there are some people, they say, well, what if there's someone in the middle of Africa in a deep, deep village that could never hear the gospel? Would they go to hell? Read the Bible. Without Jesus Christ, you go to hell. I also believe that God would never not give someone an opportunity. If you want to believe that God is that way, you can go ahead and do that, but that's not how God is. And I give you a lot more Bible on that topic, but the fact is God gives everyone an opportunity. What you do with it is your choice. And even in the end, there'll be a lot of Jews that turn to Jesus Christ. They're blinded to the gospel right now because they refuse the Messiah. If you come on Wednesday nights, we're talking all about all that stuff. 
but there are a ton of them that get saved during the tribulation time. God gives them an opportunity. If you're not saved today, get that settled. The most important thing in the whole world is knowing Jesus Christ. Don't leave here without knowing him. And if you're saved, don't let a message like this make you doubt your salvation. Nothing can separate you from him. If you're saved, you're always saved. Nothing changes that. And sometimes we're like, well, I've been doing bad things in my life. So quit doing the bad things and just follow the Lord. That's all you need to do. But if you're not saved, get that done today. If you're saved, thank him and tell someone about what he's done. Father, I